0: Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. These are the prison epistles. Good morning, New Life. You look good. Uh, If you haven't noticed, the the, the heating isn't working yet. It's not hooked up. But uh, it reminds me, actually, the, the, the Methodist's. In, uh, in their early churches that they built, they actually wouldn't install furnaces, they wouldn't install any heating apparatus at all because they believe truly that it's the fire in the pulpit and the flame in the pews that should be enough to sustain warmth and so I'm gonna do my best to keep you warm here uh, this morning. I came across a story this week uh, of two old friends uh, who had met on the street, they, they kind of bumped into each other and, and one friend uh, said, Fred, um, why? Why? What has happened? Why does it look like the world has just beat you up? What? What is wrong? And and the Fred res, uh, the, the uh, Fred responds. He said, "Well, uh, let me tell you. Three weeks ago, my uncle died, and he left me forty thousand dollars." Wow. Well, that's that sounds like quite a blessing. And, and Fred responds, "Well, no, you don't understand. Two weeks ago, I had a cousin that I, I'd never known, and and she died, and she left me eighty five thousand dollars." Wow. That. I, I, I don't understand what's, what's going on, Fred. And then Fred responds, yes, but, but last week, last week I had a, grant, a great aunt die, and she left me an inheritance of a quarter of a million dollars. I, I don't understand. What, what, what's happened? What, what is going on? What, what's wrong? And Fred responds, you won't believe it. This week, nothing. Um, Glad that at least landed a little. It's a little nicer telling jokes to an audience instead of a camera. I do appreciate that. Um, um, entitlement. Entitlement is the belief that one is deserving or entitled to certain privileges. So entitlement is I deserve or I'm entitled to something that should be a privilege. Now I I, I could I could unroll some stats about millennials and entitlement, but. For those of you who are millennials, I know that you get beaten down by those enough. Um, though, to be fair, in, in the entitlement game, you, you are holding, I think, the trophy at this point. But to your credit, at least it's a trophy that you've earned. Um, I think entitlement actually is, is something, there's something about entitlement in, in our human nature that we all struggle with. And as I've been studying this and reflecting on it this week, I think um, if you look back uh, decades You know, over the last number of decades, you look at the boomers. For those of you who are boomers in the room, uh, welcome. You also struggle with entitlement. But I think of a different kind. I think in boomers, we, we have seen an entitlement to if I work hard, I will get what I want. There's this expectation of if I put in the work, if I put in the time, I deserve, I'm entitled to getting everything that I want. Um, with Gen X, I'm at the very tail end of of the Gen X generation. Um, I think there's an entitlement as well. It's a little different. I think with Gen X, we're, we feel entitled to enjoy whatever we're doing. So whatever work it is we, we're called to, whatever we're doing, we 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 feel that we should have the right to enjoy that, and that makes sense. Where uh, you know. Ours was the generation that, uh, that, you know, that created the Walkman, right? Because we thought, whatever I do, I want to at least have my music with me wherever I go. And so, so I think there's entitlement, but just a different form. Uh, then with millennials, of course, there's this entitlement of, well, it's, it's me, so I should be rewarded. And so I think entitlement is, is part of our, our nature, part of our, our, our sin condition, But it sort of has come across in different ways over time. And I think it's also an issue in the church. It continues to be an issue in the church. Um, John Piper says, A sense of deservedness or entitlement will actually keep us from truly knowing Christ. That grace is replaced with expectation, that we deserve what God is giving us. I see it coming out in the church where, um, you know, in, in in the boomer church there was this idea of if I put in the time, if I do the right things, if, if maybe even a little sense of legalism, if I do the right things and I show up to church, then God will give me the life that I want. And there was this entitlement even that maybe has spawned into this consumeristic, kind of maybe Sunday-driven, if I show up on Sundays and I, I put in my time and I, and I put in the attendance and I sing the right songs, then God will give me the life that I want and I could ignore the rest. And, and I think we've seen that struggle over the last number of decades. Um, with my generation and, and the entitlement that we have to enjoy what we're doing, I think that's where we see the worship wars. That if, hey, if I'm coming to church, then I had better enjoy it. I I, I deserve that. And, and so I don't like that style of music. You need to do something that I enjoy. And we saw in the 90s and the 2000s, the worship wars come about. And today, I think the millennials are struggling in church with this idea of absolute truth and, and how dare God deprive anyone of anything how dare God keep anyone out of heaven and and so there's this struggle with theology and and, and truth and so we're seeing entitlement work its way into the church we're working through the book of Ephesians and and Paul is writing to this this baby church a brand new church and actually it's it's interesting when you realize that every Christian every one in the church that Paul is writing to has come to faith uh as an adult really Right? There were, no one has grown up in the church. These are all brand new Christians who have all come to faith as a result of the message of the gospel in their lives. There was no established church. And last week we saw Paul telling the church who Jesus is, what Jesus has done for them, what their identity is sort of theologically. And today he's going to sort of go back a little bit and, and, and remind them of who they were before that good news came to them. And, and I think in some ways try and prevent some of this entitlement from breaking in. So, if you've got a Bible, we're going to be in Ephesians, uh, starting here in chapter 2. It'll also be on the screen behind me if Owen is still with me. And he is. We're good. Therefore, so remember, coming out of the, the, the truth that we saw last week, that we are adopted, that we are chosen, that we are redeemed, that we are sealed, that we have an inheritance, there's all the, these manifold blessings. Therefore, remember they are Gentiles, and that once upon a time in salvation history, they were on the outside, that they were separated, that they were hopeless, that they were, in essence, in some ways, doomed in the old covenant, that they were once completely separate from what God had started, where he began his covenant work with Israel, with our people. And that people was called to be a light to the nations, and they didn't do all that well with it. But Paul is reminding the Gentiles that they were once here on the outside, that they were separated, and that they need to remember that fact. Twice here he says, Remember. And then in the next verse, he talks about this dividing wall of hostility that God has broken down. See, in the temple complex itself, uh, there was sort of the Holy of Holies where only the high priest could go once a year. And then there was sort of this uh, inner chamber where the priests could go and they would light incense. And then outside of that, there was the court uh, where where they would offer sacrifices and the Jews would come and they would offer sacrifices there. And then there was another court and it was on the very outer court that the Gentiles were allowed to gather. And there was actually a wall, a physical wall with an inscription that said anyone, any Gentile that was to pass across this barrier would suffer death. And and there was a physical barrier between the Gentiles coming anywhere near God. And so Paul is wanting to remind the Ephesian church here, first and foremost, remember that you're not entitled to this, that you were on the outside. We pick up the text again here, uh, starting in verse 18. For through him, that's Jesus, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. The Gentiles are once seen as the enemies. They were once seen as as the foreigners. They were once seen as the aliens. And Paul is saying now through the work of Jesus... You have been brought in, you've been adopted, that you were once aliens and now you are citizens. He's reminding them that Jesus has brought about the ability for them to cling on to this truth. Verse 20. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Uh, So he's alluding to the temple, and he's saying this very structure, this edifice that once you were excluded from, now because of the work of Jesus, we are part of that temple. The temple is no longer a physical place. It's now the people of God together. And so you were once not only in the outside, but now you are actually part of this structure. And, And he says that Jesus is the cornerstone. It's actually what we just sang that Christ is the cornerstone of this new building which brings us in and makes us part. Uh, Then in uh, 3.7, we'll skip down a little bit to 3. uh, Verse 7, or 17, sorry. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts. So he's praying now for the church that they would have this, this realization, they would have this understanding. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Um, this is uh, this is personally my this is my my favorite personal verse for even what I'm doing right now. That 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 I pray that you in the love of God, would have the power to understand the height and depth and, and width and breadth of the love of God and that in that come to the fullness of life in Christ. I feel like that's that's the calling uh, of doing this. So he's praying that they would have the, the ability to see anew every day the grace, the mercy, the undeserved favor that God has poured out for them. And so Paul is trying to to ground them in this truth that once they were on the outside, they've been brought in not because they've earned it, not because they've discerned it, not because they're special and they're great, but rather in spite of them because of the goodness and the love of God. Tim Keller says, The presumption of spiritual entitlement dooms its bearers to a life of confusion when things in life inevitably go wrong. Right? If we say, okay, I've chosen God, that I've made that choice, that i found God, that therefore God now owes me something when we encounter difficulty in life, when we encounter struggle or hardship or sickness. And Tim Keller, by the way, as a footnote, has been diagnosed with terminal cancer. He says we, we have no way of understanding the difficulty and the struggle in life if we feel that God owes us a favor. When we slip into entitlement, our faith becomes about us and God exists to serve us. And I think what Paul is trying to do here in Ephesians, and will do over and over again, is to try and shake us out of our complacency and out of our entitlement so that we actually fall on our knees and realize that grace is grace and we don't earn it or deserve it. And so, this morning, I have three practices that, that I think we need to do, even, even this morning, but perhaps as, as a regular thing three practices that help break this entitlement that we feel towards God. Or maybe you you hear yourself at times when things don't go your way, say, God, how dare you? God, aren't you paying attention? God, what about? But that break that entitlement that bring us back to the place of faith. The first is, and, and using Paul's own word here, is to remember. Remember who we were. I don't think there are many of us who are purebred Jewish people in the room. I think it's safe to say, I think we're all Gentiles. And and Paul is reminding us that we once were on the outside, that we were separate, that we were, in his words, we were doomed, we were condemned, we were separated. Um, That doesn't maybe come across culturally very well, but that's the truth the Bible lays out. That apart from the work of Jesus in our lives, on our own, standing before God, if we truly examine our hearts and know ourselves things we struggle with the things we think about the things we're tempted with we truly know that then we were doomed condemned and separated but and that's that's one of the amazing phrases that that he uses over and over again here in ephesians but god that we were but god but god saved us out of that that doomed state god redeemed us out of that condemned condition and god welcomed us those who were separated and it's an act of sheer grace and mercy and when we practice we practice this, this act of simply remembering who we were before Jesus, then the antibody develops in us of humility. It's the first, the first thing that fights against this entitlement is humility. In First Corinthians, Paul reminds us all. First uh, Corinthians 1, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human beings might boast in the presence of God. The fact that I am up here with the Bible in my hand and that you have have, have, have sort of given me the freedom to talk to you about the Bible and to talk about God in his fullness is, is sheer evidence that God has a sense of humor. Like seriously, if you only knew me when I was 19. But God chooses the foolish; He chooses the shameful to show not how great I am, but to show how great He is and His mercy and His love. His the foolishness of God on display. The second practice, and yes, it does start with an R. Is that we need to remain. We remember and